Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidnor, founder of leading Australian podcast agency, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome back to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Have you ever felt worse after scrolling social media? With new houses, shiny cars, and business wins, sometimes our feeds can feel like a never-ending highlight reel. But today's guest, Shine Mahmud, reminds us that there's more to being an entrepreneur that meets the social media eye. Shine is the managing partner of digital marketing agency Econ7. With offices in Pakistan, Rwanda, Romania, and the UAE, Econ7 are helping companies and communities to connect in an ever-increasing globalised world. In today's episode, Shyan shares his story of growing up in Pakistan, his tips and tricks on managing three, yes, that's right, three global businesses, and how he finds comfort in the discomfort. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay, without further ado, welcome Cheyenne. Diane, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Amazing. So, you know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the awesome work you're doing in digital marketing and business over the last six years, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. No, no, it's great. I mean, it's an honor to be on the show. Uh, I was looking at all the cool stuff you guys are doing. It's amazing. Oh. Awesome. I appreciate it. Amazing. Look, so for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name is Shayan. Um, I uh, started a digital marketing company called Icon7 about six years ago. Uh, we started, uh, me and my partners, Gabriel and Irina, started uh, an office in Bucharest in Romania and then in Islamabad in Pakistan. And then we have an, a small office in the UAE and we have an affiliate company um, in Kigali in Rwanda. 
Um, so that was the first business that I was a part of, uh, Icon 7. And then through Icon 7, we sort of started a couple of other businesses. One of them is called Trademore. Um, Trademore is, well, one of the things that we are, we're Alibaba's channel partners in Pakistan. So we look at the B2B side of Alibaba in Pakistan. And then uh, what we generally do is we help manufacturers and uh, people looking to export globally, manufacturers uh, who are looking to sell globally. We bring them onto our platform and we sort of help them uh, with all the necessary things it takes to go digital. Um, so yeah, so that's the second business that I'm involved in. And then the third business is called Pro Pakistani. Um, we're Pakistan's largest online uh, publishers. We have uh, traffic about, of about 17 million hits a month. And uh, we're, we started with tech and telecom, and then we're sort of moving in now to business and a few other categories as well. Oh, it's so interesting, Cheyenne. I think, you know, when I looked into you, I was like, how is he doing three businesses right now? It's hard enough to run one. Um, but I can't wait to dive deeper into the businesses and what you're doing. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing, and that is... I'm guessing you grew up in Pakistan. What was it like growing up in Pakistan? And how do you think that impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Sure. Um, I, I don't know. You know, when I, when I, I get this question a lot with uh, people who aren't from here, I, I had a great time growing up in Pakistan. You know, um, when I was in high school here, Things were at their worst, uh, in terms of our, uh, country and, you know, the terrorism situation and a lot of other things. But when you're a kid and you're in high school, your problems are really not related to the macroeconomic issues of the world or the safety and security. I didn't even know that these things were, I mean, of course, I mean, I, I remember like instances where, you know, we're all out having a good time and, you know, something explodes in the, in the corner and you're scared and everything. But it was so, I mean, it was such a great life that I, I don't even think that, you know, you're so involved in your own little bubble that you don't even notice uh, that, that things were that different and how it impacted. I think, I mean, I'm very patriotic and I think that, that um, generally I always wanted to come back here. So uh, to Pakistan and do something here because uh, this is home for me. And, um, and I always thought that there's a lot of work to be done here and there's some good uh, great things to be done here. And this has always been the plan since I was a kid. So I guess I was always very patriotic. So that, that, that was a part of the thing. So, so fascinating. And just so interesting. You know, as a kid, you know, you said you didn't really take much notice of kind of what was happening around you, even when there were crazy things happening. You know, where do you think your entrepreneurial spirit came from? You know, what did your parents do during that time? And I guess, where do you think that spirit of not really caring and just being young and free came from for you? Um, I think the spirit of being young and free just acclimatized the situation, you know what I mean? Desynthesized to the situation. So in the beginning, it's scary. And then eventually you're just like, okay, there's a security issue, but you know, I've got like X party to go to, or I have to meet X people or, you know, like it's just, it becomes your life. Uh, and uh, it was a great life, to be honest. I, I have no complaints. Um, as far as where the entrepreneurial spirit comes from, um, my, my father, um, was an entrepreneur, uh, my mother as well. So, um, I, I grew up in a, in a very business family. Everyone in my family is very, uh, business minded, very entrepreneurial. So, you know, dinner table conversation and such was always related to, um, my father ran an IT business. Um, 
So related to that business, related to other things, uh, generally, you know, you don't realize it, but as a kid growing up, uh, it's, it's sort of embedded in your mind because it's all you see, it's all you hear. You know, my mother, I don't think she's missed a day of work uh, ever. She had like, she still has cancer and, you know, she still goes to work and I have never seen her. I mean, so the, the work ethic, the entrepreneurial spirit, I guess my parents was a big, big part of that. I just, I grew up seeing it. So it just seemed like what everybody does. I find it so fascinating. I love asking that question because I actually so agree. And, you know, it's what we were surrounded by when we were young and growing up that really changes the game for us, I guess. Was there ever a point, though, when you were growing up that that mentality around the hustle mentality of just go, 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 don't take a day off, did that ever take a toll on you in your early years or was it not much of an issue? Um, You know, I think if you really like what you're doing and, and you like who you're doing it with. Uh, it never felt like work. That would be the right, uh, of course. I mean, look, there's stressful and bad times, but I don't think that has to do with, you know, the hustle. It has more to do with, you know, your expectation of what you want from the hustle. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work out. And sometimes that's just life. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it can get overwhelming, especially because I was pretty young when, I was like 23 or 24 when, when we started. So, uh, like Icon 7, the first business that I was involved in. So it gets a little overwhelming, um, uh, in the beginning, especially when your friends are, you know, uh, fresh out of college, still haven't started working. Some of them are still in college. So it's a different, uh, lifestyle. But I think generally speaking, um, if you enjoy what you do, it's not really that overwhelming, the timeline or anything along those, those things. I love that. You know, I love what you said around expectations. How can we get better at setting more realistic and achievable expectations for ourselves? That's a good question. I think that it's really hard to set realistic, achievable expectations for ourselves because uh, primarily I feel like the internet screwed all of that up so that, that there's nothing we can do about that. I mean, now the problem is that whatever expectation you set up, your, your standard is the gold standard because you can see or search for anyone, uh, out there and you're going to be able to compare yourself to anyone out there on any, you know, part of this planet, which is, which is not a fair comparison, right? Uh, there's multiple economic factors that go into that. There's multiple other things that go into that. So you shouldn't be looking at everything as a level playing field. And then of course, like uh, the problem or, or the good thing or the bad thing with social media is they're always going to show you, no one is going to show you their negatives, right? So no business, no entrepreneur, they're going to show you their positives and you don't know where their struggles are. You just know where their wins are. So if you were to go see, you know, uh, if, if you're scrolling on LinkedIn or Instagram or something, you will see their successes. You will not see their failures. So you will just assume that they are having success after success after success, which is, not true. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think, uh, it's one of those situations where for the, you know, our generations and those younger than us, uh, it'll be the toughest thing managing expectations and, you know, being able to put in the work ethic because we're just so obsessed with instant gratification. Now that's what we want. We want to be successful today. We want to be famous today. We want to be rich today. So, uh, that's tough. I mean, and myself included, like, uh, that's the hardest thing, I think. I totally agree. So I want to dive a bit deeper into the story. You know, you were 
flouncing around as a kid, no worry in the world, quite entrepreneurial because of your family. And then I saw that you headed to the UK, I think it was Regency's University in London, to do a Bachelor of International Business. Could you talk to us a little bit about the decision to leave the country that you grew up in and that you love so much and what you were hoping to gain during that time and then I guess how it shaped you? Sure. Um, so my, my father's family, a lot of them are in England and, um, I always felt like it was a part of, uh, my, I don't know. I just, I, I felt like at some point I wanted to go live there or, or to go experience that world. So, you know, when I graduated high school, it, it just seemed like the next logical step, um, going to England. And when I was in England, actually, I ended up in a university where I spent about three years, uh, in England and, and a year in China. So, so that was a very uh, interesting experience because I feel like more of the culture shock came when I was in, in China, which is, which is obviously Pakistan's neighbor as opposed to when I was in England. But, um, yeah, it was a very, uh, it was a great experience. I think it was one of the best experiences of my life and, uh, regions, the university where I was, was, um, fantastic. I, I had a great time. I met some people that really had a profound impact on, I guess, who I am today. And, and I'm very grateful for that. Let's talk about China. I saw you did a stint there and, as you said, a full year there. I've also um, not done a full year but about three to six months over there studying. Talk to us a little bit about what it was like and, I guess, some of the key things you learned about yourself while there. So I think whenever someone asks me about China, I tell them that the thing, I don't know about, like, so I was supposed to go learn Mandarin and I was supposed to go learn a lot of other things, but I think I learned more about myself than I learned about China, <laughs> China their culture, their language, anything. Yeah. So I remember one of the first things that happened to me was, um, I, I, I landed in this place called Nanjing and, um, the application form was in Chinese in Mandarin. So I thought I understood it, but I didn't really understand it. And I ended up coming there about a month and a half before my university starts. So it was me in an empty campus and obviously none of the foreigners were there. And I hadn't seen a foreigner or, or someone who could speak English for about a month and a half, two months. And I tell you, the amount you learn by being 100% by yourself for two months. When I say one, I mean, I mean, there wasn't someone in a time zone I could call. There was nothing. So it was... You know, you're, you're playing, uh, football every day with Chinese people trying to communicate in the three words, you know, you're trying to find, you know, something to do entertainment or otherwise. So, I mean, I think there was so much learning, uh, in that year in China, more so than any other year of my life. I think. I absolutely love that. How can we get better at being comfortable in the uncomfortable? By being in the uncomfortable, I think, I mean. So it's, it's one of those things where you're only ever going to get better at it till you keep doing it. And if you're not regularly doing it, you become too comfortable to get used to, uh, or to get be, to be able to acclimatize to the uncomfortable. So you have to put yourself in those situations again and again and again. And eventually that becomes normal for you. It becomes uh, okay for you. And I think if you're, if you're looking to succeed as an entrepreneur or in any um, facet of life, you have to get used to being uncomfortable because those are going to be growing pains and that's the only way you're going to grow. I want to ask you one more question about China before we move on. And I guess that is, how did you 
acclimatize to that, you know, once you'd finally gotten into uni and, you know, probably gotten started, how long did it take you or did you never acclimatize to it? Um, it took me a while, actually. So what had happened was, I think if you spend two months, you know, barely communicating with anyone, it becomes a very strange environment when you finally have to. Uh, so it took me a little longer than it did in, say, Beijing the next semester or the uh, semester before it or London or any of those other places. But I always tell people that semester in Nanjing is my favorite semester of college because when you eventually acclimatize, which was towards the end of the semester, it's a six month semester. So it was towards like the third month or something. Uh, but when you do like the, the, the satisfaction of being able to finally, you know, overcome that very uncomfortable phase was somewhat, uh, you know, uh, more pleasing than making friends in any other part of the world. So, so yeah, it was great. I couldn't agree more. I still think back to my time in Shanghai and you just wonder how you get through it during those times in your early 20s where you don't even like know who you are. You're trying to figure everything out. It's yeah. just, it's such an interesting experience. Yeah. Amazing. So, you know, not long after university, I think you graduated straight into founding your own business, which was Econ 7, which is what you mentioned. Could you talk to us a little bit about the idea for the business, how it came about, and what were those first few steps that you took to really get it off the ground? Okay. So I was, at the time, I wanted to work in films. Um, I wanted to produce and work in films. So I was working on a Pakistani film at the time. Uh, that, um, some, a friend of mine and a few other people were working on. And, um, along with that, I had to finish a certain amount of internships for my university. So I ended up going to Bucharest in Romania, um, because they were doing the post-production of the film there. Uh, Bucharest has some really good, uh, uh, studios for that. So as they were doing post-production for the film and, and there was an internship that I was doing before that, I was there for about three to four months. Uh, something like that. So I was there for a long time. And in that time frame, uh, my father knew someone who introduced me to, who introduced me to someone else who is now my partner in Icon 7. So I met some guy, frankly, at a restaurant. We, I had gone for dinner with a bunch of people and, uh, he was just a guy who was talking to me about movies and, uh, films and, and football. The World Cup was on at the time. So you know, just, we just became friends and we started hanging out and nothing, there was no business, uh, relationship there whatsoever. And then when the film finished, um, we were looking for an ad agency, um, to release the film, uh, in Pakistan. So we started interviewing a few people. And at that time, my partner Gabriel was like, I own an agency. So I was like, Oh, why don't you help me? You know, uh, shortlist an agency for our film. So we sat in the interviews with me and, eventually he starts talking to me and he's like, you know, there's these agencies, there's a lot of room or market gap where there's, there's things that we can improve. And I honestly, at the time, I didn't even know what agencies did and what, you know, how it all works. So I was like, Oh, okay. I don't know. And I had no interest in it, to be honest at all. Um, so I told him, yeah, sure. Let's see. Uh, I, I went back to the university, obviously Gabriel and I kept in touch. Um, we actually gave them the film contract, uh, the advertising contract, and they did a great job. But what happened after that was the film didn't do too well. Uh, but, uh, I also started researching, okay, what is digital marketing? How does it work? Uh, what is the gaps he talks about? Like in Pakistan, why can't I see them? You know, how can I make it better? So then my final year thesis was just 
for university was up anyway. So I was researching on digital marketing and, and, and things in Pakistan along those, uh, along that nature. So when I graduated, um, I practically had two options, right? One of them was to get a job in London um, and stay there because I have a British passport. So it was pretty, you know, easy to stay in and sort of acclimatize and stay there. But um, I, I spoke to Gabriel and then I spoke to my parents. And even though my, my, my mother was for it, my dad wasn't at the time, but I just told them I felt like uh, I wanted to give this a shot and see what happens. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that I... I, I sort of, it was serendipity more than it was anything else. So I sort of fell into a good team. My partners are fantastic. At 24, I don't think, um, when, when we started Icon 7, I don't think I, I had the tools maybe required. So there was a lot of serendipity there, in my opinion, um, in the beginning at least. It's so, so interesting. And I just think I love the fact that you weighed up your options and you were like, you know what? What do I have to lose by going with this? But sometimes it's really tough, you know, for our peers out there listening, they might resonate. You've got pressure from family to go off and make sure you get a good job. You've got pressure from your university and your professors that are saying, you know, you're so great at this. You've got pressure all around and probably also internally. You know, how can we, in those tough times when we're at a crossroads, how can we get better tuning in to ourselves and what we actually want to do i think for me generally like uh, there's always been that pressure and you feel it uh, especially when you're starting a new business and it takes a while for it to obviously take off so in the beginning there's a lot of pressure and a lot of people make you feel a certain way for me it's always been one of those questions where i mean are you going to do what makes you happy or are you going to do what makes your professor in university happy or other people i mean Worst case scenario, I have never met someone who started a business and come out of it not smarter, not wiser. No, you know, it's a, it's the business school of all business schools. Um, when you have to do it on your own and you have to do it, um, in the real world, there is no MBA for that. When people say that they're scared of it, I understand that. And, and I, I was, uh, you know, in a, in a similar boat, but it's, uh, it's a part of life, right? I mean, what's the worst that'll happen? They'll, people will forget about your failure within months. But if you succeed, that's something you'll have, you know, for life that will be matter to you. So the, you know, pros and cons are not as complicated as people make them out to be. What was the time that you felt that you failed the most? So um, a few years into the into the business, um, this is before actually I think trade more might have existed. I, I'm not I don't remember, but it was very early on, uh, and it was just Icon Seven at the time, and there was a large project that we were working on. So I worked on that project, me and my team, for a year without any money. Uh, we were it was like a pitch, um, and we had multiple other companies that we had partnered with, and it was a very large um, project, e-commerce related across the country with the government, and um, I, I made a few mistakes. Some of the things were not in my control, but I made a couple of mistakes, which cost us the project. And that failure always stays like in my mind, because I think maybe, you know, that success was coming too early and I wasn't ready for it, but it was just the, the problem or the, or the feeling was that, um, at night we were sort of told that we were going to win. Um, and in the more, so, so we spent the night like celebrating. Oh. Uh, so we had won this large project oh. and it was going to change our lives. You know, it was going to change the business. And so, you know, you, 
you also start to see how people change or, or, or start to react with you, right? They start to see you as this successful entrepreneur or, or obviously you've done something fantastic and it's great. And then you wake up in the morning and you go to pick up your contract and, you know, dot the I's uh, and uh, you make a mistake and that mistake costs you not only obviously financially a fortune, but uh, just the, the way it would have catapulted your career. So that stuck with me a while. Um, I, I don't think I processed that very well. It took me a few months at least to get over that one. How can we get better at processing our failures? If, if, I, if I knew the answer to that, I mean, I, I would be able to do it myself. I don't know. <laughs> Million dollar question. I feel like generally speaking, people are um, competitive and uh, they want to win. They want to succeed. They want to do well. So you can't really ever be very, very used to failing. Um, you can, of course, uh, uh, I was watching this uh, show recently. Um, it's called Ted Lasso. It's a, it's a, it's a, NBC show or an Apple show or something. Anyway, uh, in that he says the best way to do that is be a goldfish. So I have a 10 second memory. I guess that could work. But I mean, realistically, <laughs> I haven't mastered this art yet. So yeah, I'm not sure. Oh, it's a continuous learning process. And yeah, I just commend yeah. you for getting back up after that. You know, those those early days, I mean, I've just honestly just come out of it the last couple of months heading into three and a half years. And it's just I've, it's so tough in the early days. So I, I appreciate what you're saying. Amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about the progress and what happened then for you to pick yourself up to ultimately then start your second business, which is the, uh, Trade More. Can you talk to us a little bit about the perseverance that was required after that fall and where you saw that opportunity for growth slash a new company? Um, so we were talking to uh, basically someone had approached me and said that Alibaba was looking for partners in Pakistan. So we, we when we honestly, when we sent the bid at the time, um, it was something that we were just sort of like, if it happens, it happens great. Nothing, not really you know, banking on it at the time. So even when it started, to be honest, we were uh, a little confused as to how big the opportunity could be. So it was one of those things that very slowly turned into an opportunity. And, and to be honest, uh, trade more didn't start well. So it wasn't one of those situations where uh, one opportunity fell through the, the cracks and the next one was just fantastic. We had we had a horrendous time um, in the beginning with trade more. Yeah, we fired, uh, I, I think I... I had like six different GMs and in the end, eventually we started just taking people out of Icon 7. Uh, uh, Musa is this one guy and Tala, uh, who's my partner now in Trademore, they, we took them in and put them into the business because we couldn't find anyone. And it was just, it wasn't a great start uh, is all I'm saying. It was, it was, it was a nightmare. So it's one of those things where, you know, when people are like, oh, what was that turning point? I, I remember very clearly, um, so my partner in Pro Pakistani, so one of the guys who invested with me in Pro Pakistani, which is our third business, um, was actually in talks with me to buy my second business, which is Trademore. He had nothing to do with uh, Pro Pakistani at the time. And the only reason that I didn't sell it to him at that time was because I didn't, he's, he's a friend of mine since we were kids. His name is Omer. And the only reason I didn't sell him Trademore at the time was because 
I was like, I wouldn't do that to my friend. I wouldn't sell him something that I don't believe would work. So I think my good karma at the time <laughs> really helped out in both the businesses that I've involved in now and, 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 and trade more actually has been growing so fast in the last couple of years. And, and, and that's all because of the team. Uh, like I mentioned, Tala and, uh, my, uh, my partner in the business, but also the team that we have now, they've been growing so fast that I mean, we've got offices in six parts of Pakistan right now. We're opening up another six uh, cities. It's fantastic. But if you ask me what changed, what was the turning point? You know, I think if you just stick at it, the principles we had on day one are the principles we have today. But sometimes you just need to keep sort of at it till the market is ready. You know, so, so a lot of people are very lucky to make a product that is right for the market, right? Or that has the perfect team associated to it on day one. Uh, like I was lucky with Icon 7. Um, that's rare, right? That's not going to happen all the time where you, where you open a, uh, a product line and you're just at the right time where the market wants it, where it's ready for it, you know, where it's not a red ocean. It's not a, it's not a blue ocean. It's somewhere in the middle where they have an understanding and a desire for it. That's very unlikely. And, in, and if that happens to you, you know, great for you, but that's unlikely generally. So you have to weather storm after storm till, uh, it's sort of just, you find clear waters and it just works. Uh, so I don't know. Perseverance, I guess, is the only thing I can tell you. It's so tough, you know. How can we get better at persevering? Are there any strategies that you use during that time? What can we do to not quit? I think for me, I always ask myself a question is, uh, obviously one of the, the big factors before your mindset is also the people you're around, right? So if you're, if you've got a good team, um, if you've got a good family or, uh, friend circle that sort of supports you through this, that's going to make a big difference. Um, for me, it really helps being able to just switch off, um, as much as I can. Um, and that, that obviously is, is a big credit to my friends or my family. But as far as uh, the, the perseverance is concerned, I think really it's a question of, if you burn your boats and you know that this is it, I think a lot of entrepreneurs sort of get into entrepreneurship with their handbrake on, you know, so they know uh, they have a foot in one door and a foot in the other. Uh, look, maybe it works for them. I, I don't get me wrong. I, I'm not an expert, but uh, for me, the mentality of, look, it's this or I don't have another option. Um, I, I haven't worked a job yet. I don't know where I'd work. I don't know what I do. So it's this or, you know, catastrophic failure and then we figure it out kind of situation so so um i think that helps uh burning your boats helps just knowing that this is it um it's sort of in a way it's it's peaceful as well because you know that uh um, you're not going to do an opportunity cost in your head where you're going to say oh if i if i was right now at x company what would i be doing or you just know this is it this is what you're going to do and that makes it a little easier it's clarity i guess I actually just, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's finding that clarity. I think the struggle that perhaps our peers out there listening are feeling, and I definitely felt is when we're in our twenties, when we're still trying to figure it out, let it be, we're in our early thirties or thirties as well. There's always, I guess, that slight confusion of, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Or what is it that I want to do with my life? You know, at what point did you know that if at any point, and how can we get better at figuring that out for ourselves? 
I don't, I think I'm still figuring out if this is, uh, if this is what I meant to do. But one of the things I do know is that I like the, the craft of storytelling and I like, and I've always been fascinated by communications in, in this sort of industry that I'm in. And I think that as far as what you're saying is concerned, um, I saw that um, there was this, I think in Stanford where Steve Jobs gives this speech where he's like, you always connect the dots looking backward, not forward. So you don't know what your calling is till you've found it or till you're a lot, you know, further down the line in life. Um, I mean, there might be people who found their calling and know that they found their calling in their twenties. But I feel like if you're not curious enough to, to explore, if you're not, a lot of people say this is my calling because they decided that when they were 15 or 16 years old, or, you know, uh, somebody told them that this is your calling. Your calling will call you, right? Um, you're supposed to wait for it. Um, and you're supposed to accept and be open to all sorts of possibilities along the way. And eventually when, when you're there, you'll know you're there. Uh, I don't think I'm there. Uh, I don't know about uh, other people, but uh, there's no need to, not enjoy the ride as you go along. Um, a lot of people, some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world or generally um, people in the world, um, they, they do multiple things before they figure out what, what they enjoy or um, what they excel at. The business itself pivots a million times before they figure out what, what it is that, you know, really gets them going. Um, so, so I don't think there's uh, being open to change is part of the game and, and your calling will, will come. It's just a matter of time. Your calling will call you. I love that. Amazing. So I've got a couple of final questions as we kind of start to, you know, head to the close of today's episode. I think that one of the first ones is at what point did your final company come along? How did you tackle that? I mean, they say third time's a charm. Was that the case for this one? And then I guess where are you at now with managing the three businesses? Sure. So the third business, I didn't start that. Um, I uh, basically what happened was uh, Amir was the founder uh, and he's still the CEO. But what happened was that um, something similar to what uh, you, you do um, is something that I was interested in doing, which was sort of highlighting entrepreneurial stories and business related things of Pakistan, because there was a, there was a problem in, in young entrepreneurs, including myself, where we couldn't, we didn't have the database required to understand, you know, the dynamics of the country. So I was working on something like that. And it was just a passion project on the side, nothing related to my business. And, um, I talked to Hassan, who's uh, our head of digital and I was like, uh, oh, you know, we should pitch this to someone. And he's like, oh, I know some people at Pro Pakistani. I had never met anyone uh, at Pro. I knew Pro Pakistani was a big company. Um, but um, I knew no one there. And he made me meet Amir, who is now my partner. And when I met him um, in our first meeting, Amir was like, oh, you know what? Um, why don't you, you know, um, I'll buy this section, which is called LTD at the time and give you a certain percentage of shares for that. And the rest, why don't you, you know, uh, buy majority shares? And I said, oh, I, I, I don't have the money and I don't know how this works. But he's like, look, I like you and the offers on the table. Um, and this is after a couple of meetings and, and getting some sort of strategy together. He said, look, the offers on the table, if you, if you want, uh, we can start making a plan for that. So I went home and um, uh, I was quite uh, 
confused because I've never raised money before or I, I had never done any of these things. I was, you know, at the advertising agency required a few interns, me and Tala, who's my partner now, and, and uh, uh, Hassan, a couple of people to start. So it really didn't require much funding. Whereas this was a question of raising funds and, you know, making a complex businessman, things I didn't know about. Um, so anyways, um, I started uh, talking to some people and you will be amazed. I mean, in your circle, people will come and be like, yeah, I'll, I'll invest with you. I'll be an angel with you and I'll be, so I have, I brought, we had two, three investors come on board. Uh, one of them is a friend of mine that I told you about that was interested in, uh, trade more. I think he's very happy with his, uh, purchase and <laughs> I'm very happy, uh, with mine too. So that was great. And, um, yeah, so then my brother-in-law is also involved, uh, who I told you about is, uh, is, uh, uh an entrepreneur himself and one of the smartest people I know. So he, came on, helped me a lot with the business side of things, the acquisition side of things. And after that, now day to day, I'm the chief brand officer for Pro Pakistani. And uh, we're all in one building. So it's quite interesting. We have like one room is trade more, one room is uh, Pro Pakistani. It doesn't even, I don't even know. I came back uh, after after the holidays uh, a few weeks ago and there was somebody sitting in my room. So I was like, oh, who are you? And then we introduced ourselves and she was from Pro Pakistani. It was good. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a very fun culture because there's three companies sort of meshed into one um, and three big companies now as well. So we've got, uh, I don't know, two, 300 employees total. So it's a, it's a, it's a growing uh, uh, dynamic uh, of people and, and it's fun. And I think um, the third business has been fascinating because that's, in many ways, it's, it's a, it's a tech unicorn of Pakistan, the way it's growing, the way it's, uh, doing it. It's, it's a, it's fascinating to be a part of it. Um, and it's even more fascinating because it's the first time where I'm working in a very different environment. It's journalism. It's a, and for me, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, it was a business where I was, so I inherited a team. I didn't build this team. So the first two times I built the teams and the third time I came in and they had a team. They had a way of doing things and now there's this new guy and he has his own um, thought process and philosophy and, and it's hard. Uh, uh, it's hard to tell people that this is what I think is right. Um, so so that was a completely different experience for me and, and I think I learned a lot from it. I love that. How do you manage them all? What's your secret? I don't do anything. That's my secret. Uh, <laughs> I don't do anything myself. I swear to God. Uh, I just have a really good team uh, everywhere. And uh, they do all the work. And um, I just sit there and sometimes comment from time to time about what I think is wrong. And that's it. Honestly, uh, I'm just really lucky to have a really good team. Uh, I couldn't do this myself, realistically speaking. Uh, I couldn't do one of the three myself. So to say I could do all three myself is impossible. Well, look, Shyam, you've been doing an absolutely stellar job. You know, over the last six years in business, you've really gone from strength to strength. You've, in less than five years, I think it was, you scaled the business, your first business, to three different continents and four different countries. Absolutely insane. And recently you've been featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 Asia list. What are three key pieces of advice that you give our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? That's, that's actually good. Um, the first piece of advice would be to focus on doing as little as possible and making sure your runway is as long as it can be. So, so if you're, so what people end up doing is they end up, if they have a hundred dollars, they end up spending 
a hundred dollars in three months. Uh, and they're hoping that they'll then start making, uh, X amount per month to be able to balance the books. Now that's scary and not advisable. And a lot of the times we don't realize that, especially first time entrepreneurs like myself, you know, uh, everything is, is your burn rate. Everything is how long can you get to even now to six years into it. My first conversation is in my mind is always, how long can we go till, uh, with, uh, all the expenses, uh, uh, and other things, because that's eventually what's going to matter. So that uh, the longer you're alive, the more you have a chance of succeeding. Um, the second thing I think is, um, it's important to find voices, uh, mentors that are not a part of your business and not directly related, uh, in any way to the business, uh, uh, not even your family or friends, but just people who are sort of away from it all. Um, in mentorship like that really helps because there's no vested interest. There's no um, question of success or failure. They don't know the people. Um, so what a lot of the times you get the right sort of advice and they don't have to be a part of your industry. They just have to be successful in their own. Um, and, and I think those people can really help you uh, understand and tackle a lot of your own problems. And the third thing is, is team, right? If you have to keep chopping and changing, like the first time with Icon 7, I hired a couple of interns and a few full-time employees. They're all still around and they're all fantastic. And they're my partners and they make more like they're, they're in senior positions, got lucky. But since then, it's been a lot of chopping and changing within Icon 7, within trade more was chopping and changing for years. So we found a good team. Uh, if you can't find the A team within your budget, keep changing till you do. Because without the right people, no matter how great your idea is, it won't matter. And no matter whatever product you have, I, I understand that it varies from industry to industry, but it doesn't vary in that great people make great things. If you have a great, like I always tell people this, if Icon 7 fails as an agency, we could do something else because we've got a really talented group of people here. So, and that's all that you need. That's all you need. I love it, Cheyenne. Amazing. Look, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing for showing us and particularly us, you know, young, ambitious, potentially entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs that, you know, if we stick at it, if we get pushed through, we can get there. It is possible. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. I don't know about that, but I mean, it is possible. I don't know if I'm the reason I usually, you should think that, but yes, it is possible for sure. I love it. Amazing. So our final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? I think the value is, it's so intangible. It's hard to sort of put it into, into a sentence, but it's how it makes you feel about yourself. It's the impact you have on people, uh, on their lives, on community generally. Um, if you're pursuing what you're passionate about, everything becomes so much more than the paycheck. It becomes um, about what, you know, the deeper effects that you're having on society. It becomes about how it makes you feel about yourself. I mean, if I, it, it's not about making money then. And, and when you get into that, um, zone where it doesn't matter. Um, uh, the bottom line is important, but it's not the only thing. Then, you know, the sky is the limit because at the end of the day, we do everything we do to make ourselves happy and to be content with our lives and to be 
uh, happiness is what we should be chasing, um, not money. So if you're happy and you're breaking even, that's good enough. It's good enough. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Ayan. It's been absolutely awesome. We've had an absolute blast. Where can we learn more about you and your businesses? Um, so obviously pro Pakistani icon seven and trade more are all, uh, on the internet. They have their own websites. You can go find them. Those are easy to find. Um, you can follow us on social media for the three companies as well. Icon seven is E I K O N seven trade more T R A D E M O R. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm not very social media, um, <laughs> uh, savvy uh, or not on a lot of social medias, but I am on LinkedIn. Um, I'm quite active on LinkedIn. So you guys can follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I guess uh, I'll send you the link for that. Amazing. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thank you so much again. It's been so amazing. And for everyone else listening, we'll end with that. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, Head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest beer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.